Open your Bibles with me, if you will, please, to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. I want to talk to you a little bit about the voice of God. When we speak about God's voice, I believe with all within, with, that is within me that God speaks in various ways. He demonstrates himself through his voice in various vessels, in various modalities. There are three that we're going to look at on today that suggests the text that we're reading aligns with that, how God speaks and the nature of his speaking to us. The first one, if you write this down, if you will, please, God's voice speaks in times of correction. God's voice speaks in times of correction. When he is correcting something within our lives, when he is addressing something that is not honoring to him or honoring to his word, God gives correction. We need not be afraid of correction. You see, when God corrects, it is with full intent that you and I will enter into fellowship with him that affirms our relationship that we have with him. So correction is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Truth be told is that uh, I, I, I grew again up in a tradition in the traditional African-American church. I grew up in a place that there were times that we had correction that would come sometimes maybe through our personal devotions, just like we all do, and other times through the preaching of the word. But in the African-American tradition, we had individuals in the church who lovingly would correct you. <laughs> and one group uh, were what we referred to, if you were to go in uh, the church I pastored for nearly 25 years. It'll be 30 years that I planted a church in Sacramento, 30 years this year that I planted that church. And if you go there now, in any of the services, about the first two to three rows deep, they are what they refer to as the church mothers. These are the elderly women who have been appointed to this role as church mothers because they have proven to be women of prayer, women of fasting, and, uh, and truth be told, they hold a lot of authority <laughs> in the church. It's a kind of an unspoken rule that you pay attention to the church mothers. And they'll, again, they'll sit about three rows deep, and they'll usually be in their Sunday best and all dressed up, and they'll be sitting all dignified and so forth, you know, and you know who they are. They, they fall in line with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, church mothers. You understand what I'm saying? And, and they put you in check. If, uh, if I didn't say something right, my mother was one of them for years before she went to be with the Lord. And if I said something that was kind of off, she pulled me aside. She said, uh, now, my mother, from the time I became a pastor, she never called me pastor or never called me by my first name. It was either pastor or bishop. From the time I started leading the church, she stopped calling me by my name. She just would say pastor or bishop. But... Whenever I'd say something that was a little bit off or the scripture wasn't quite right or I was a little bit off base on it, she'd call me up and she'd say, Pastor, now I looked and I don't see that. I don't know if that's right. <laughs> yep. They put, put you in check. I, I remember one little church mother, she, again, correction, she, she, she was a little 
A lady that's, she's been with the Lord now decades, at least now 25 years. Name, I won't even tell you her name, but she walks up to me. And back in the church at that time, uh, there were those who tend to be a little bit legalistic. You know, they held certain rules in their mind. And, and even this beard I had, you weren't supposed to wear a beard because that was considered to be vanity, you know. So I, what I have now, I'd, I'd be what they call a backslider. With this beard, I'm a backslider. So I'll never forget going up, and I was hugging one of the little church mothers, and she embraced me, and the whiskers of my beard scratched her on the face there a little bit. And she says, uh, baby, baby, uh, you, you might want to cut, cut that off. You know, God, God cut, cut that off and shave that. And I thought to myself, now I didn't say it, but I thought to myself, well, mother, when you shave yours, I'll shave mine. But anyway, <laughs> bad bishop, bad, bad bishop, terrible. Stretch your hands this way and pray for me. Come on. Son. I know it, it was bad. I didn't say it. But I did think it. And as much as those ladies and others in the church would say some things that would put me and others in check, and many times in a loving and correcting way, as many times as I experienced that, I always grew in a healthier way because they loved me enough to tell me that I was wrong or that God wasn't honored in something that I was doing. And I, I submit to you, we probably, in my estimation, would benefit today from having believers around us who love us enough to be the voice of God that corrects us. I believe that. There are times I sit in here and sit under the word and pastor's preaching or pastor Matt's preaching or pastor Brian's preaching. And like you, I, I don't like when the word corrects me. I cross my legs, fold my arms, and roll my eyes just like some of y'all. <laughs> I do the same thing. But the word, God's voice, corrects. Secondly, his voice denounces. His voice denounces. When God corrects, that is God typically addressing something personal within our own lives. When he denounces something, his voice denounces something, it is typically attached to, watch, an activity or behavior that is impacting others. It's affecting others. So God has to, through his voice, denounce the activity. Denounce the behavior. Because now it's not just you, but it's others who are being affected. It's like the person that told me once, well, I don't, I don't get mad that often. Typically, you know, I just jump in, blow up, and it's all over. And I said, do you realize you just described a hand grenade? That, that's, that's, what the, that's what a grenade does. It jumps in, blows up, and it's all over. That's, that's a grenade. It impacts others. There's, there's catastrophic effects, collateral damage that takes place. Those are the areas that God says, I denounce that. God's voice speaks when he corrects. God's voice speaks when he's denouncing. And God's voice speaks, thirdly, when there's a shift, when there's a transition. 
there's a change. Something's happening. God speaks. Take your handout, if you will, that you received when you came in, and here's your fill-in that you can just write this in, if you will, please. God is always, here's your first word, speaking. Are we listening? God always is speaking, but are we listening to God's voice? Are we listening to God's voice when he corrects? Are we listening to God's voice when he denounces something? Are we listening to his voice during the times of the shift? Look with me here in 1 Kings 22. We're going to start at verse 51. If you remember, our pastor took us through the introduction of King Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. Both were evil. Ahab is the king of Israel. He is one of the most wicked, evil kings that Israel has ever had. And his wife is just, if not more, evil, diabolical. When I was growing up as a child, I remember in church, they used to talk about Jezebel, and she was always equated with makeup. (laughs) I submit to you that nails, eyeliner, rouge, and Maybelline was the least of Jezebel's problems. (laughs) Trust me on that. Both she and her husband were wicked people. And if you remember, Pastor walked us through the narrative of how God constantly was coming to Ahab and saying, repent, turn to me, obey. And, and, and the more God came to approach him and, and, and uh, cause him to, 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 to say to him, repent, turn, don't lead the people astray. It seemed as though Ahab went deeper and deeper in idolatry even to the place that the national religion was the worship of Baal. The people had turned from worshiping Yahweh. They began to worship a false god. These are God's people whom God had delivered and brought them forth out of Egypt and had done great things in their lives. And and remember we said on last week, he had done so many miracles, signs and wonders. Everything that God did in relationship to his people, was attached to the supernatural. He supernaturally provided for them. He miraculously provided for them, and yet the people under the leadership of Ahab and Jezebel rebelled and turned from worshiping the one true God. So God corrects. He has a prophet by the name of Elijah that he raises up, and Elijah is one who speaks with a bold voice. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord declares. Look with me now in verse 51. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now, Ahaziah is the son of the wicked king Ahab. Ahab Because he has not followed the voice of God, he is now dead. He's been killed in battle. You remember the story that he tried to disguise himself in battle. And he tried to, in essence, set up King Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. And both kings were going into battle as an alliance of armies to fight against the enemy. And you remember what happened? You remember that Ahab decided that he was going to disguise himself. 
so that he would be not that he would not be recognized as the king. And Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, he set him up. He says, now, I want you to dress in your finest royal apparel. And in his mind, his thought would be, when we both go into battle leading the army against our enemy, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, when we go into battle, they will immediately go to try to take the king out. The enemy would assume that whoever's wearing the royal vestments is the king. Take him out. And then the, the armies would be routed and we will win the battle. So this is in Ahab's mind. Remember, Ahab is one who plots evil schemes. He plots things and plans in his mind. But do you not know, beloved, that there's no evil plan that can ever overcome God's perfect plan? I don't care how it looks. It may appear that the enemy is winning. It may appear that evil is winning. It may appear that wickedness is winning. But just hang on and take a couple of more breaths. You'll see God turn the thing. And there was a prophecy that Elijah gave. He says, you're going to die. You've done evil and you're going to die. You've done evil and you're going to die. And a few years had passed. There had been relatively three years of peace. So he thought, well, there's been three years and nothing's happened. Maybe the prophet missed it, ate one too many pepperoni pizzas and just gave a poor prophecy there. Remember, beloved, if God said it, we often say, if God said it, I believe it and it settles it. Remember what we said last week? If God said it, whether you believe it or not, it's settled. It's going to happen. And remember, Ahab was killed in battle. What happened? They were going after King Jehoshaphat, the enemy, and they're going after him, and they're getting ready to take him out. And the scripture says he cried out. He cried out. I don't know what that means. I don't know if he screamed like a little girl or what, but he cried out. And when he cried out, they said, wait a minute, that's not Ahab. That's not our man. And for whatever reason, someone who wasn't even aiming they weren't even aiming because, remember, they don't know who Ahab is. He's under disguise. They're just shooting an arrow anywhere. They're not even aiming. But God directed the arrow, and the arrow went straight into Ahab, and he was fatally wounded and died. Now he has died, and now his son, Ahaziah, who has now taken over, he reigns. He's reigning during the subsequent time or the same time as Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And it goes on to say, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father Ahab and in the way of his mother Jezebel and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who made Israel to sin. He also, verse 53, served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger and in every, in, and in every way that his father had done. So it goes from bad to worse. Ahab's gone, but now you have Ahaziah, who is now leading. And he's also worshiping Baal. He's not worshiping the one true God. Now watch what happens. Watch what happens. Go over with me now to chapter 1 of 2 Kings. Ahab has died, verse 1, verse 2. Now Ahaziah, this is his son fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria. His son is standing, apparently on some type of balcony or something, that he falls and comes through the lattice, and he is injured to the point it is a serious injury. He's in critical condition. And note here, 
He sent messengers telling them, go inquire of Belzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. Notice he doesn't tell the messengers, go and inquire from the god Yahweh, the one true god. He says, go and inquire from a false god, just as his father did, just as his mother did. Go and inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from this sickness. Verse 3, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the prophet, Arise, go to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God of Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord. Here's the voice of God speaking now. Here's the voice of God speaking, denouncing. Notice what the voice of the Lord says. You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you, king, shall surely die. That's the message that Elijah gives to these messengers that have gone out to get a word to bring back to the king. The prophet Elijah denounced King Ahaziah's messengers and sent them back with a somber message to the king. Verse 5, the messengers returned to the king and they said to them, and rather he said to them, why have you returned? Maybe they had come back sooner than he thought. Maybe they had gone out and immediately saw Elijah. So their return was very quick. And he raises up out the bed. He says, what are you doing back so early? Why are you back here? Why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God of Israel that you... Uh, shall, uh, that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And notice what Ahaziah responds in verse 7. He says, he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? In other words, what did he look like? And they answered, a man who wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather around his waist. And notice Ahaziah's response immediately. He says, it's Elijah. It's Elijah. In other words, the same man that was a pain in the neck to my daddy and a pain in the neck to my mama is now a pain in the neck to me. It's Elijah. Now you would think, having seen what had happened to his mama and his daddy, he would have said, it's Elijah. Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. I missed it. I blew it. He doesn't. You know what he does? You know, uh, it's, it's kind of like uh, Judge Judy says, beauty fades, but dumb is forever. <laughs> I mean, he, he, I mean, just dumb, da dumb, dumb, dumb. This, this, this is what this man does. This is what the king does. He says, it's, it's, it's Elijah. Then the king sent to him, sent to Elijah, a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill. Now here's the picture. He sends a captain who's got 50 men in a, in a small army to go up and to get Elijah. And I submit to you for the purposes of killing the prophet. He wasn't bringing him so that he could have coffee with him, folks. He was sending this captain and these 50 to go to kill Elijah. He sends them up and the people go there, the men, uh, the captain goes there with the 50. 
He goes to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of the hill, and he said to him, Oh, man of God, the king says, come down. Come down from there. But Elijah, watch this, answered the captain of 50. Here's what he says. If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. What happened? Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Yo, that's rough. He, he says, if I be a man of God, let fire come down. This is the prophet speaking. Come down and consume you and your 50. And sure enough, while he's speaking, fire comes. Instant cremation. Gone. That would have been my first clue. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned. You understand that? That would have been my first clue. No. Remember, dumb gets dumber. The king sends a second group out. And the second group goes out, and it repeats itself just like the first group, where the captain says, prophet, come down. We won't talk to you. And fire comes in, burns them all up in another 50. Again, you would think there is a pattern here. What does the king do? He sends out a third group, a third group, 50 men. And a captain. Now the third group, third time's a charm. The third group gets there, and this captain, he's got a little bit more wisdom. He's not, he's gotten the report that a couple of his buddies have not returned. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of get the clue when you see the wagon coming in with a hundred urns. You kind of get the clue, something's up here. So he, he responds, and it says in verse 13, and again, the king sent the captain of a third 50 and his 50, and the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, oh, man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. In other words, please don't kill me. Verse 14. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. And notice what happens. The angel of the Lord in verse 15 intervenes. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. And he said to the king, thus saith the Lord. Because you have sent messengers to inquire of a false god, Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. It is, because, is, there, is it because there is no god of Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up. You shall surely die. And verse 17 tells us, and he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. He died according to the word of the Lord that was spoken. Here's how my mother used to say it. My mother, bless her heart, she used to say, God don't like ugly. God don't like ugly. And then she added a little part later in life. She used to say, God don't like ugly, and he ain't partial to cute. You see, dear hearts, when God corrects, when his voice denounces, it is for a purpose. And I think what bothers me today, maybe it doesn't bother you, but it bothers me. What bothers me today is that we live in such a time that people no longer respect the voice of God. And we play with it. Yes, we go to church. 
Yes, we do all the things that church folks do. Remember I told you about the church mothers? We used to go in front of the church mothers, and they would always ask us, and different ones when we were children, they would ask us, how you doing, baby? How you doing? We'd say, blessed and highly favored. Blessed of the Lord. And they'd look at you. The old folks used to say they could read you like a book. They'd look at you and say, mm-hmm, and you're still in sin. You're still in sin. And some of them would get real frank with you. They'd say, and the Lord showed me. He showed me. And he showed me with whom? And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I, I think we need more of a reverence and a respect for the voice of God than what many, that what many of us have today. I really believe that with all of my heart. I think we're so passive with it. And I, I, I tell, you know, my, 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 my son, my nephew, my nieces, because some of them, you know, they want to be rebellious and act out and what have you. And, and, and they're finding out that God is not to be played with. I tell them, play with Barbie dolls, play with Tonkas, but do not play with God. He's not to be played with. But I know, and some of you are looking at me like, I just, Bishop, I just have a problem with that because I just think it's grace, 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 and God's loving. You know, he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. He loves you enough to correct us. Come on, church. He loves us. Come on. He loves us enough to correct us. He loves us enough to transform us. He loves us enough to tell us, that's wrong. Don't do that. Don't say that. Oh, God, when I get to work tomorrow, I, I wish she would say something to me. I'm going to snatch her ball headed. Really? <laughs> really? Really? God corrects because he loves us. He loves you enough to bring you into a place of transformation. He doesn't want, I don't like it either. I don't like when I get corrected. I don't either. I'm like, I want to do it my way. Just like the other day, driving on the freeway, driving and I was getting ready to get off on an exit and somebody was trying to get off the exit before me and they cut me off. And I rolled down the window. I did and I was ready to have a few choice words. And I'm not trying to tell you I was wanting to say, God bless you. No, I was ready to go off. And I kid you not, no jokes, all jokes aside, this is what exactly, this is what happened. The Holy Spirit spoke and said, don't do that. Don't, I don't know who it was. I just saw the car. It was like, boom. And I was like, And they happened to cut off in front of me and got ahead of me over there off of Mather. And as I got off of Mather, my car pulled up alongside them. And I was ready still, window down. I was still ready to have a few words. And the Holy Spirit was saying, shut your mouth. Don't say anything. Don't say a word. Shut your mouth. That's how God speaks to me. I know he speaks to you in the King James Version. Hither to it, shutteth, shutteth your mouth,eth, saith, saith nothing, saith. That's not how God speaks to me. God says, be cool, fool. Shut your mouth. That's the voice of God to me. And I'm sitting there, and I had the window down. And just as I pulled up with an eye shot of the person who was driving the car, I could see them, and they could see me. And they leaned over, big smile, because they didn't obviously know what they had done, what they did. And they looked around, and I looked at them, and they said, hey. They said, hey, Bishop. And I was like, 
I kid you not. And I went from right up, right up praise the Lord. How you, how you doing, baby? It's true. The Holy Spirit will speak to you, will correct you, and he at times even denounce some things that need to be denounced. But you got to listen. You got to be obedient. Somebody, you got to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Speak. I hear you. I'll obey you. I'll do what you call me to do. Let's look at one last section here. Look with me down at 2 Kings, and we'll close with this. In 2 Kings, we're going to now see Elijah leaving, finishing up his ministry. 2 Kings, and uh, skip down, if you will, chapter 2, verse 9. Look down at verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, remember, Elisha is the protege of Elijah. He's going to succeed him in ministry. Pastor brought this out. Don't do leadership. Don't do ministry unless you expect to have someone succeed you. There's too many people who are so stuck on their egos, they think it's all about them. But wise women and wise men understand you must always have someone that can pick up the mantle and come after you. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you now if God had not instructed me some years ago to get a successor for the church I planted 30 years ago. There are people who still think something is wrong with me. Why would you leave such a successful ministry and impactful ministry and everything's happening and you, you planted it, you sweated over it, you sowed into it, and all, of the, and all of a sudden you just step back and let someone else lead? Yes! Yes! Because I'm finding out that you can become comfortable with what was and never enter into what is. You can get comfortable to what has always been, and God says, but I'm getting ready to shift some things. It can be, watch this, children. It can be possible that in God's correcting our lives, in God, watch this, denouncing activities in our lives, it can mature you and grow you to a place that something else is about to happen. See, we, we, we miss that. We forget. We think when we're going through correction, I can't stand it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And God says, but this is going to grow you. This that I'm correcting in your life is going to mature you. And when it matures you, it's going to bring you to a crossroad. It's going to bring you to a place. Watch this. It's going to bring you to a shift. A shift. You can't grow. You can't mature. You cannot be the man and the woman that God has called you to be unless the shift comes. It's got to come. <laughs> Let me just put it to you. Shift happens. <laughs> I'm going to say it right for some of y'all that missed it. Shift. Make sure you, come on, blog it and text it right. Shift happens. Anybody that will be a servant of God will be a woman or a man that has gone under the, under the voice of correction, has gone under the voice of den, den, God denouncing something or an activity to the point that God says, now I bring you to a place like Elisha, that there's a shift. Let's finish it up. Watch what happens. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. 
Please let there be a double portion of your spirit upon me. Please don't leave me to walk the walk that I've got to walk, to live the life I've got to live unless there be double that's on you on me. See, you realize one becomes to a place in your growth and maturity. You realize we cannot do this in our own power. We cannot live a godly life in our own strength. We cannot walk in the fullness of God and the things he wants us to walk in unless he gives us the power of his spirit in us. I don't know about you, beloved. I want a double portion. Come on. I want, if I'm going to have trouble, I want double for my trouble. I want a double portion. There is somebody sitting in this room this very moment under the sound of my voice. It has been months since tears went down your face while you were praying. Someone in this room right now, it has been weeks since you experienced the joy of God rising up in your heart, even in the midst of frustration. Someone right now, because of a shift that has happened, you've had to relocate. You are worrying about what you're going to do, where the job is going to come, where the finances will come from. Uh, you, you had a doctor give you a negative report and says you have stage four cancer. What are you going to do? A shift has come, and you're wondering, how do I handle this? And God says prophetically to all of us that are in this house, he says, I want to give you double. Double portion. Double power. Not just a little, well, a little dab will do you type power. Just a little, you know, I went to church today and it was nice. It was sweet. The people were, they're, they're sweet. And whoever preached today, it was okay. <laughs> God says, I want you to have such a divine encounter by sitting in this place on a Sunday that you could have stayed at home because it would have been real easy with the time changing to stay up under them blankets. But God says, come into this house. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. So when I come in, I can experience sitting under the word of God and hearing the word of God and being around other believers that are struggling just like I'm struggling and other believers that have gone through a week just like I've gone through. But I can know I'm not by myself. And in the midst of all of that, the presence of the Lord fills this house, fills this place. And some way, somehow, he lifts our hearts, he raises us up, and we walk out, not with our heads down, but with our heads up knowing there's a hope, knowing that there's help, knowing that he's holding us, knowing that he's maturing us, he's shaping us, he's growing us. And it's also that we can embrace and enter into the shift. His voice is speaking, yes, to correct. His voice speaks, yes, to denounce, but his voice also speaks in the shift, the Prophet says, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me when I'm being taken away from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Verse 12. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out of anguish, my father, my father. The chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. And in response, he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. You see, when shift comes, 
A lot of times we don't know what to do with it. You know why that is? Because we have our plans. We have our plans. We, we feel like we know what we want to do. I'm, I'm like that. I, I lay my plans out. I'm going to do this on Monday. I'm going to do this on Wednesday. Here's what I'm going to do on Thursday. This is my plan for next month. Here's my plan for next year. I plan to finish my PhD in, in, in 21, uh, 2021. I plan to do this. I plan to uh, prepare for my retirement for this and this and other and all of that. And God says, shift. All of a sudden, the whirlwind comes. And we think something is wrong. But God says, no, it comes because something is right. The whirlwind comes so that you can sit there and like I do so many times, watch my plans go up in the air. I don't say my father, my father, but I say my plans, my plans, <laughs> my goals, my goals, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do. Kesara, Never will be, will be. Am I the only one? And God says, allow those plans, allow those things to be so that your full confidence and trust is not in your own strength, but it's in me. That's why we need the double. What does he do? He takes the cloak that has fallen off of Elijah, and in his anguish, he strikes the water. What happens? The waters part. They raise up on the left and raise up on the right, and he goes across on dry ground. Mm, he goes across into a new season. He goes across into another dimension. He goes in, across into an area he's not walked across before. He goes into an area that it's going to be new. It's, it's, behold, God is doing something fresh and alive and anew. He wanted to hold on to Elijah, but by striking the water, and Elijah's gone, and the, the change has come, and the, the shift is taking place. God says, walk across. That's what he's saying to many of you in the room right now. Walk across. But I'm afraid. Don't worry. Walk across. But I don't know what's going to happen. Don't worry. Correction has brought you to a place that God can now guide you into the double, the double portion. You remember I read and said to you, I quoted a passage out of Hebrews chapter 12 where it says that God disciplines those whom he loves. It goes on to say in verse 11, for the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, everybody say later. later. Yeah, he says, but later it yields the peaceable or peaceful rather fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me say it again. No one likes to go through the pain, but later, you can't see it immediately, but later when you get to your Jordan, but later when your plans are going up in the chariot of fire, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness because you have allowed yourself to be trained by it. It has taught me something. Anybody in this room, even the worst things, the most challenging things in life that have come your way, even when God has corrected you in some things you just knew you were right in, how many can say it has trained you? It has trained you. My God. There's been some things, I tell you, I wish it had gone a different way. I wish I could have done it a different way. But in the midst of it, it has taught me some things. It has trained me. And I close with this passage out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. This brings it together for us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire, you got to have the desire, 
All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's going to happen. You're going to go through something. You're going to be persecuted. Living as a believer is not tiptoe through the tulips. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people, just like Ahab, evil people like Jezebel, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, just like Ahaziah, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, but as for you, Elisha, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, believer. Continue. Sis, continue, bruh, continue in what you have taught and you have learned and you have believed. Continue in it. Don't stop. Don't stop. Get it. Get it. Don't stop. <laughs> Don't stop. Continue in what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how, the ch how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And I love how he ends it. He says, verse 16, all scripture is breathed by God, breathed out by God, and is profitable. It benefits us for teaching, for reproof. That means expressive disapproval. For correction and for training in righteousness that the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why? Does God correct? So he can get us ready to do what he's called us to do. Write this down. God's voice teaches us. God's voice corrects us. God's voice completes us. Let me say it again. God's voice teaches us. God's voice corrects us. God's voice completes us. Why? That we may be equipped for every good work. Well, beloved, do you receive the word today? Give the Lord a high praise if you receive this word. Let's give the Lord a praise. Look at me for just a moment. We need God to correct us. Otherwise, we are left to ourselves. We need the voice of God to reprove us. Otherwise, I am dangerous to my own self and to others. We need the voice of God to speak when there's a shift. Otherwise, we will feel forsaken. But the Lord is here for us right now. Stand to your feet. Take your arms and wrap them around yourselves like this. Put your arms around yourself. In the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, correct us right Correct us, O oh God. Correct us, O oh God. Search me, Lord. Shine a light from heaven on my soul. If you find anything that shouldn't be, take it out and strengthen me. Lord, I want to be right. I want to be saved. I want to be whole. God, I'm tired of myself. I need you. We need you. Can't do anything without you. It is impossible. It is in you. We live, move, and have our being. Correct us. Denounce any activity, God, that has brought hurt, harm, division, confusion to any person, believer or unbeliever alike. God, denounce it. And then, Lord, speak to us in the shift. 
Hey, speak to us, oh God, hallelujah, in the shift, the transitions of life. Be an anchor for us, oh God. Hold us steady until the storm has passed over. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you praise and adoration. And we will do what you have called us to do and say yes to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give God the highest praise you can give him. Come on, don't patty cake. Come on, give God the highest praise you can give him. Bless the Lord, oh my soul.